As we continue in worship today, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel 30 um, is an Old Testament passage, so um, if you look around in that section of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, then 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, um, we are right at the end of 1 Samuel with only one more chapter to go. This uh, particular passage this morning contributes towards the series uh, that we're going through this summer, which is from the book of Acts overall. And the question that we answer is, what does it mean to be the church? How is the church defined in Scripture? And the book of Acts gives us four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so we spent some time on the apostles' teaching and, and both the, the ongoing what and how of reading Scripture faithfully, interpreting it faithfully, and doing so together as a community brought from your own faithfulness in devotion. We also now have moved towards fellowship. What are the marks of Christian fellowship? There's all kinds of different ways in which people get together and gather What is different about church? How do we define our fellowship? And so today we pull from 1 Samuel 30 to look at that question. And and you might notice, or you'll hear as we go, there are some things in 1 Samuel 30 that King David does that, that give us a glimpse into who Jesus is and how Jesus would be. There's things about David as a ruler, And the kingdom that he set forth, that that are the very essence that Jesus talks about in his kingdom. This also is personally one of my favorite Old Testament stories. I've just always loved 1 Samuel 30. And so I will uh, hopefully let my passion come forth, um, but not in a way that will distract me horribly on tangents. Because there are many. There is just so much good stuff in this chapter and how it relates to the difference between Saul and King David and how it points us towards Jesus and his kingdom. So friends, I invite you to study 1 Samuel 30 together with us this morning and to receive both God's word and the sermon on this gem of a text. Now, it's a long story. It takes about four-ish minutes to read, Uh, But it's pretty hard to get the essence of the story without taking the whole thing. And it is an exciting story. So before we read God's word together, let's pray. God, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ and the building of his kingdom, our primary concern. Speak to us, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and at the end of the chapter, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and I'll invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. David and his men reached Ziklag, their home, on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, 
They found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had also been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Nabiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Bezor Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. And David asked him, Who do you belong to, and where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites, some territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag. David asked him, Can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. And he led David down. And there they were scattered over the countryside, eating and drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. And David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and were left behind at the Bezor Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all of the evil men and the troublemakers among David's followers said, Well, because they did not go with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. 
However, each man may take his wife and children and go. And David replied, no. No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. And David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here's a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. David sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth Negev and Jatir, to those in Arior, Sifmeth, Eshtemoah, and Rakal, to those in the towns of the Jehermelites and Kenites, to those in Hormah, Borashan, Athak, and Hebron, and to those in all the other places where he and his men had roamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To think about the gravity and weight of this story, we need to put ourselves in as much imagination of the position that they were in. Imagine that that one day you went to work, and while you were at work, everything you had was taken away. Imagine that, that the day you got, that night when you got home from work, your house had been burned down, all of your vehicles had been stolen, and your family had all been kidnapped. I mean, what would your reaction possibly be? Burned house, everyone's gone, you are left with nothing. It's all been stolen and taken. Think of it that way, and our reaction might be very similar to David and those with him, that they wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep because they are grieving that everything has been taken from them. That's the first reaction, to weep aloud until you have no strength left to weep. And then the second reaction comes pretty quickly after that. They want to stone David. Think of how that might go for you. If you were gone at work, you came home, house is burned, vehicle stolen, family kidnapped. You might also be so mad at your boss, thinking, why in the world was I at work? Why was I there? If I had been at home, none of this would have happened. And so we find someone to blame, someone to scapegoat, even if it doesn't help. We might just want to have someone to lash out at. And you might think about stoning your boss. I don't know what that looks like if you're self-employed. It doesn't help, though. All this grumbling against David that his men are doing, it's, it's blame, and it's turning toxic. But to stone David is a functionally worthless move. It won't bring anything back. It won't reverse the fires at Ziklag, their home. It won't do anything. Maybe they're mad at David because David and his men in chapter 29 are with the Philistines. They've been with the Philistines until they were told, hey, go home. 
we can't have this, this Hebrew warrior among our midst. He's going to turn on us. That's chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. And so then in 1 Samuel 30, while they've been gone, everything has been destroyed. What's your reaction? What is your reaction when something is taken away from you? When your life gets raided as the Amalekites raided Ziklag? Friends, right now, It's not a hard stretch of the imagination to think about COVID as the Amalekite raiding party of 2020. Because like a raiding party, COVID has managed to take something away from everyone. No one's exempt from losing something. There's been celebrations that have been taken away. Plans both of trips to be taken or visits to family that have been taken away. There has been job loss. COVID has taken a toll on mental health. Just living in a constantly anxious world that we are in and one where people are pretty ready to stone each other. People have died If you haven't lost anyone, friends have lost loved ones. Family businesses have struggled. And what do we do? What do we do on this year that so many things have been taken away from us? Maybe in our hearts, the first thing we want to do is find someone to blame. Just like David's men who start to think about stoning him. We want someone to blame. You can pick plenty of people to blame. You can pick the politician who did too much or too little. You can pick someone who shared a communication that you didn't like or didn't find helpful. You can blame your boss or supervisor for whatever restrictions are in place at work. There's plenty of blame to go around. And we want someone to blame because something has been taken away from us. And what does David do? I can imagine knowing that David was one of the most proficient warriors. I mean, he took down the Philistine champion when he was an adolescent with a slingshot. I can imagine as David picks up on the fact that some of his men are starting to mutter against him and there's talk of stoning David. I can imagine if some of us were David, we'd probably be drawing our sword and being like, you want to go? I will cut you up if you come after me. Or arguing with them, do you remember what I've done for you? Do you remember when I set up Ziklag and it was the only safe place for you to come to? David could have condescended towards all of his men and said, do you remember who you are, you thieves and murderers and rejects of society? I am the only one who cares for you. I am the only protection you have. I am the only leader that will take you in. David could have done any of that. He could have made an example of anyone who talked aloud of mutiny. And from his general prowess in battle, there's a pretty good chance that he would have won hand-to-hand. But verse 6 tells us that David did not defend himself. He did not condescend towards his people. He did not throw out threats or empty promises. 
But verse 6 tells us, David found strength in the Lord his God. David has lost everything too. Ziklag was his home as well. David has lost everything. His men are grumbling against him. They're thinking about murdering him. And David, as if he found the ability to take a deep breath, David found strength in the Lord his God. Not to even yell at his men or put them in place, but he finds strength and asks Abiathar the priest to bring the linen ephod, which is just a piece of linen cloth, but what was wrapped in it were the sacred lots used to cast, to, to divine the Lord's will. David is taking a moment to consult the Lord. His men are impatient. And now that they have wept until they have no strength left to weep, now they're ready to go do something. They're ready to take off in any and every direction to chase down that raiding party. And while they are grumbling and impatient, David takes time essentially to pray and to spend enough time asking the Lord for the Lord's leading. And so he casts the sacred lots. And one thing that's different between King Saul and King David is David actually gets a response. And when he gets a response, he does exactly what the Lord tells him. This whole ceremonial time of prayer and casting lots would take time. It would take deliberation. And it would take Abiathar the priest being nearby to make sure that they're reading the signs correctly. And yet they get a clear response. And they go after it. They pursue those who destroyed them. Now that's maybe where we don't quite have the same heroic bravado that we can, you know, wipe out or pursue after the source of this thing, this raiding party that has taken so much from us. But David's men, with him leading, they pursue the raiding party, as the Lord said. But when they get to the Bezor Valley, the ravine, 200 stay behind. I often skip over that part. I, I notice that later, when everyone says they don't want those 200 to have anything, David gives them dignity and notes that they stayed with the supplies. Kind of like, hey guys, we've already lost everything else. We can't leave our supplies unguarded. But there are 200 who stay behind, who can't go any further. We have that here, too. We have that here at North Holland. Because we've all lost something. And there are those who are too exhausted to go forward, too spent to even think about anything else, just done, full stop. Of our 200, there are those who are anxious and feeling defeated and not sure where to go next. So make no mistake, if COVID is our Amalekite raiding party, we also have our 200 at the Bezor Valley who can't find the strength to keep going. And what happens next is a picture into who Jesus is. In verses 11 through 15, the, those who are continuing the pursuit, they find a servant, they find a slave. Easy to ignore, easy to kill, 
David could have used that slave as the scapegoat. I know you wanted to kill me, but you can kill this guy instead. But instead, they take even more time pursuing their enemy on foot, and they take even more time to show kindness to a stranger. And this servant, they take time to give him water, to feed him from what little supplies they have left, to revive his strength. David found time in all of the stress, in all of the angstiness, in all of the loss. David found time to show kindness to strangers. You know who else had that kind of time to show kindness to strangers? was Jesus. If you think to the story of the woman who had been bleeding for many years who was healed, that story comes in the middle of Jesus going to heal Jairus' daughter. It's just an interruption in part of another story, reminding us that Jesus had time to show kindness to strangers along the road. The story of the Good Samaritan was all about showing kindness to strangers along the road. David models that for us all in 1 Samuel 30 in ways that no one could have anticipated or understood, was modeling the type of fellowship that Jesus would instruct his kingdom to have, one of kindness. And with some valuable information that that servant had, the fact that he says they burned Ziklag last is great writing in 1 Samuel 30's perspective, Because you can imagine all of this territory is being discussed, and you can imagine any servant of David's within earshot is leaning in to find out, but were you at Ziklag? Waiting to hear, were the people you were with, were they at our hometown too? And then when he says, and we burned Ziklag. He could have been dead on the spot for saying it, but instead, through the kindness that was shown, David asks if they can be led down to these people. And they do. And they win. They overtake the Amalekites. And they recover everything. This is why this story blows my mind. Nothing was lost. They recovered everything that was taken from them. No one's life was lost. And not just what they already owned. They recovered even more from all of the territory that the Amalekites had been in. This gives me, once again, some hope as we think about our season of being faced down with a raiding party that takes the form of a virus that tries to take things away from us. That just as the prophet Joel said, the years that the locusts have eaten away, I will restore, says the Lord. That David, as as a leader was led to the restoration of his people from everything that they had grieved and lost and had been taken from them. But then there's this other problematic reaction. The story isn't done. Verse 22 tells us there are evil men and troublemakers among David's group. Those who probably were the same ones who were talking about stoning David earlier And what do they want to do? They get back to the 200 who couldn't go any further. And the evil ones and the troublemakers, they are the ones saying, you know what? Those 200, they didn't come with us. They didn't do as much as we did. They didn't put as much on the line as we were willing to. So they should get their families back. But that's it. 
Why should they benefit from all of our heroic work? It's a fair point. What's David's response? David's first word is no. And then he addresses them not as evil, greedy troublemakers, but as his brothers. I think about how Jesus had a habit of talking to people who were kind of slow. How Jesus talked to people who didn't get it. How Jesus talked to those who were against him and he called them neighbors and friends. He gets on the Pharisees a few times, but Jesus' habit is to refer to people as neighbors and friends. David has already foreshadowed that essence of Christ's character that should be the essence of our fellowship. The troublemakers and evildoers are still brothers to David. And those whom we disagree with are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's easy to do when things are good, and that's a lot harder to do when there is tension and disagreement. And there's plenty to go around in 1 Samuel 30. How do you refer in your own thinking or private conversations to people who are handling all of this differently than you? Everyone thinks that someone else is dumb. Who's the troublemaker to you? Is it the mask wearers? Is it those who won't wear masks? Everybody's got a villain. David's simple response is no. That's not how we're going to talk to each other. And also, the idea that is posed that, well, people should get according to their rewards, David also shoots that down. That the, the spoils of war don't go to those who necessarily went the furthest, but the very act of being in the community being part of David's group is all that it is. And everything is shared equally. Can you imagine that? These are people who were thinking about stoning him earlier, and now he's saying, you know what? Good job, everybody. Thank you for recovering everything. And now we're going to share. We're going to share, even with those 200 who didn't go any further. David's capacity in this moment to hold everything equally echoes forward to a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 20 of a man who hired people at different times of the day. And he told the ones he hired first in the morning who worked all day, I'll give you a denarius, a day's wage. And then he hired people later in the day and later in the day and later in the day. And who got paid the most? No one. Jesus, in Matthew 20, gives a parable where people who work different amounts of hours in the day all receive the same wage. And we could trace that all the way back to King David, who said, we all share this together. On a positive note, one of the things I think about is someday when our building expansion is paid off, someday when there is no mortgage, when everything is canceled and done, we all benefit together from that. There is no pecking order or hierarchy. 
There's not a measurement of who gave the most, but was there, was there contribution and commitment together as a community? We get that from King David and from Jesus. We are at a critical juncture ourselves as a church. And I don't say that lightly. But we have been raided by an enemy. COVID has taken things away. It's our version of the Amalekites. And our responses in this moment can define us in ways that will fracture us permanently. Everyone has an enemy. And our reactions are not that different than David's men who perhaps just wanted somebody to blame, somebody to lash out at, or who claimed that, you know what, I've been here the whole time. I've paid my dues. I've been the most involved. I've shown up. I deserve more. Could have been the defensiveness of David that didn't happen might be our reaction. You can't watch a news channel without seeing that kind of behavior. But instead, David finds strength in the Lord. Who are the 200 in your mind that didn't come far enough with you? Who are the 200 that in your mind are holding us back or not contributing enough? And watch yourself because that sense of entitlement will creep in and whisper, you deserve more. That's not the kingdom that David set up in his statutes and ordinances, and it's not the kingdom that Jesus preached about or spoke of. Our fellowship as a body of believers must always be guarded and protected from a sense of entitlement, a sense of superiority. Because there are are plenty of opportunities for division. And this is where our true enemy, not just the Amalekite raiding party of COVID, but our true enemy, the devil, works, is in dividing us and getting us to whisper against each other, brings us against each other, and our relationships grow toxic. This is not the type of fellowship that God ordained for us. From David, the first unifying king to the days of Jesus. We know even in this room, there's visible signs. Masks are like the, the lightning rod of controversy. We know that some can't wear them due to pre-existing conditions. We also know that because of pre-existing conditions, some people can't be here. They just can't be. They are among our 200. And then how do we respond? Do we believe that we're superior or that we're above or ahead? Or are, in fact, we, are we all in this together like we so often say we are? It is a critical juncture. And it is the time to give up blaming and defensiveness and it is far more the time right now to show kindness, to consult of the Lord's leading and guiding, and to take that moment 
to take that moment to find strength in the Lord our God. If our fellowship is defined by popularity, who wins, who's here first, who's the best contributor, who's entitled to the most, then our fellowship will never be biblical in its character. We must be the people who find strength in the Lord our God, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, in our fellowship, we know that there is grumbling. There is frustration. There is hurt relationships. There are those who are isolated by circumstance. There are those who cannot be here. There are those of us who are here. Lord, remember, help us to remember that we are one. And may we find strength in you, O Lord, our God. May you give us strength not to show how brave we are, but give us strength to be humble. Give us strength to show kindness. Give us strength to listen. Give us strength to apologize, even when we're not sure if we're in the wrong, but to apologize nonetheless and see what fruit that yields. God, bring us together by your Holy Spirit in the ways that David brought his people together. Give us the victories, not just over raiding parties, but give us the victories of unity in your spirit and in your presence. Make our fellowship as such that we all share together, that we grieve together with those who are experiencing loss and turmoil, and that we rejoice with those who rejoice. God, be with those especially who are in the middle of treatment or are awaiting a diagnosis or who are just trying to put their foot in front of the other foot for one more step of one more day. May we all find strength in the Lord our God. May we be honest about what this Amalekite raiding party of COVID has taken from us. Everything from planned trips and graduation celebrations to friends and family who have lost loved ones, to those who have lost jobs or financial stability, to those who have lost friendships or lost connection during this time. In all of this, O Lord, our God, may we find strength in you to be the people that you have called us to be, compassionate, considerate, kind, humble, people who are marked by your Holy Spirit, both now and forever. Amen.